I'm Matthew Cochran, a lead advisor at 7investing, where it is our mission to empower you to invest in your future. We do that by providing monthly stock recommendations to our premium members and educational content that is freely available to everyone. Listeners, today I am very excited to introduce Jessica Ablamsky, a marketing writer and journalist in the San Francisco Bay Area. A former newspaper reporter, she now spends her time consulting for some of the world's most innovative companies, ranging from small startups to global tech giants, including companies such as Adobe and Oracle, with an expertise in branding through storytelling. I've long followed Jessica on Twitter for her investing prowess, but it wasn't until I discovered she was an expert on business culture that I reached out to her to appear on our podcast. I think this is going to be a very fun and informative show and one very relevant to investors. So let's get started. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to uh, talk to you about this stuff. Um, Jessica, well, as you know, I want to talk about the workplace cultures uh, different companies create and cultivate for their employees and how that might be relevant to shareholders. So let's just start at a very basic level. What is a company's culture? Uh, that's a great question. In the most simple terms, your a company's culture is just the way we do things here. And what are like some of the things like companies do that, uh, that can create a good and bad culture. Like we hear like buzzwords like, oh, it's a, it's an open workplace or, you know, it's, it's management is good, but like, what, how, how does management establish a good culture? Well, management is a, is a really good place to start because that is where culture starts. The most important thing, I think, if you're talking about uh, whether you're, Interviewing for a job or investing, the most important thing to remember is that culture starts at the top. It starts with leadership, uh, particularly executives, but especially the CEO. If you've got a toxic CEO, the entire culture is probably going to be toxic. Um, why? I obviously like the way uh, leadership establishes at a company, like a workplace and the workplace environment, that's important to employees. Why is this important though to shareholders? I think a really good reason it's important to shareholders is because healthy cultures outperform. Healthy cultures doesn't, uh, healthy cultures doesn't necessarily mean uh, you know, every single day is going to, you know, is going to feel like sunshine and roses, but healthy cultures beat the S&P 500. They have higher revenue. They have lower turnover. Um, and if you're familiar with, uh, you know, with business metrics, turnover is incredibly important because one, it reflects on your company culture and two, uh, it's expensive to hire new employees. Recru recruiting costs money. Onboarding costs money. And I, I think I want to say the first time we started talking about this was uh, I just tweeted out a question like, uh, can, can a company culture be be an economic moat? Um, like, what, what would you say for that? Can, can a company's culture, the workplace environment they establish for their employees, can that be a competitive advantage for them? Absolutely. Uh, well, I can give you a couple of statistics uh, since I'm guessing everybody here likes data. Um, so according to uh, great, uh, data by Great Place to Work, uh, they are a company that um, 
uh, works on company culture. They wrote a really great book. You know, uh, the CEO, Michael Bush, wrote a really great book that I read. Uh, but according to their data, uh, trust is critical for business success. High trust companies outperform their rivals on multiple financial metrics. Businesses with high trust cultures yield two to three times greater stock returns than the market average and have 50% lower turnover rates than the competition. Companies in the top 25% on metrics that include leadership effectiveness, trust and innovation produce three times the revenue of growth, uh, revenue growth of companies in the bottom quartile. So is that, so is the main advantage just having like employees who have been like, obviously like longstanding employees, they don't need training. They've already been trained and they can help train other employees they bring on. Um, like how, how much, how, I guess, like how much is that like, uh, how much is that an advantage to just have employees who have been at a company for a long time? That's actually a complicated, uh, I think that institution, that, that kind of institutional knowledge is incredibly important. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but one of the things uh, that is positive for company culture is uh, not putting all your most important decisions on your most tenured employees. It is important uh, to train the next generation of leaders. And that's one mistake that companies can make. They, uh, they leave, for obvious reasons, all of their most important uh, programs and decisions to their most tenured employees. And then, I hate to talk about politics, but then you get kind of the, the effect like in Congress where the only people in power are the people who've always been in power. And what happens when they leave? You lose everything. Right. Sure. What What are things companies can do, like uh, like that can really establish a good culture for their employees? Um, you know, let's back up for a second. So, sure. I think it's important for people to know that first of all, um, businesses have been trying businesses in the U.S. And, and around the world have been trying to improve employee engagement for decades. Employee engagement is what we're talking about here. Um. It's jargon for whether people care, whether okay. people care, whether they want to succeed, whether they want to do a good job. And that's really what employee engagement is to me. Um, businesses are failing miserably at employee engagement. Businesses have, in the U.S. and around the world have been trying for decades to move the needle on employee engagement and they're failing. Not every business, but as a whole. So it's approximately 70% of employees are disengaged. In fact, uh, I think it's about 16% of employees are so disengaged that they're actively trying to sabotage their company. Wow. So there's, you said 16%? Uh, I believe that's the number about, so yeah. 16%. So 16, almost, yes. almost 20% employees are so like, fed up with their company that they're working for, that they get their paycheck from, they're actively working to sabotage it from within? Yes. Wow, that's incredible. So I know you're in the Silicon Valley area. Um, 
do companies out there, we always hear about like the, the, the headquarters at, at Google or headquarters at Facebook or like Apple's new headquarters. Like do, do Silicon Valley companies do a better job at this than the rest of the companies? And is that like because of the culture is really different or is it easier just for because they're dealing with like Walmart has a lot of employees that they just have to deal with like on the front lines and they're going to buy by almost by their nature, they're just going to get paid less than like obviously a Google engineer like a cashier at Walmart is going to get paid less than a, a Google engineer. So is, is it because like Google only has to do, has to deal with so much, like comparing Alphabet to Walmart? Can, is it, is it just easier for Alphabet to establish a better culture because they're just dealing with less employees or does Silicon Valley really have, do they really do something different? Uh, you know, first of all, the campuses really are, I mean, I, I've seen some of these places and they really are what people say they are. Um, I've been to a number of campuses and, you know, they do have the basketball, you know, basketball courts and reading nooks and it's, you know, it's amazing. Um, I, I'm personally not a fan of the, uh, the, the open, the open work plan. Um, but that's an aside. They're still interested. Sure. Sure. Um, and in, but uh, it is important to keep in mind that uh, you don't need a racquetball court to make people happy. Uh, it may it may to some extent not be fair to compare um, a company like Apple to uh, to Walmart. However, there are businesses with uh, you know. There are businesses with uh, with people who have job responsibilities, like in Walmart, uh, that that do have healthy cultures. Um, I'm in California, so I have to bring up In and Out because that uh, In and If you're not aware, if you're not on the West Coast, uh, In and Out is a fast food chain. It is a family-owned fast food chain and widely considered to be one of the best places to work. When you go into an In-N-Out, first of all, you can see the kitchen from where you're ordering. They're not hidden. Second of all, you'll notice that they're happy. They'll probably be laughing, sometimes singing. It's really incredible. It's just, they, you know, they're they're for the fast food, they're fairly well paid. They've got benefits. And again, it's supposed to be one of the, you know, one of the best sort uh, jobs in that uh, one of the best places to work. Uh, Costco too, I believe. Uh, Costco too, I believe is also known as, uh, you know, as a uh, amazing place. Uh, yeah. To I've work. always heard Costco. I've always heard. Yeah. I, I didn't know about in and out So like, how does a fast food chain do that? How do they establish that? Like that culture of, of laughing and camaraderie while they're like, you know, flipping a thousand burgers a day. Like what's, what's the secret sauce there? I think what helps create, I, I think, uh, well, first of all, um, if you work a, uh, if you work a job that is highly repetitive, um, it, it's going to be, you know, how you create meaning in an office is going to look different, uh, from a Walmart, but sure. the, basic things that create uh, a feeling of maybe not happiness, but contentment, satisfaction are going to be consistent regardless of the workplace because we are human. And there are a number of things that there are a number of very basic things that make humans happy. 
uh, or make humans content. I don't like happy. Happy. I don't like happiness. Contentment. Satisfaction. Right. Contentment. Okay. Uh, there are a number of things that create that sense of contentment. Uh, you know, one of the first uh, is going to be a sense of meaning and purpose. Uh, another, you know, the another really important factor is going to be uh, mission and values, and relate uh, relationships. Uh, those are kind of the big three: meaning and purpose, mission and values, and your relationships. That that sounds hard because I get it. Like, uh, um, like I'm a police officer, and that's my day job, and so I get like how. Um, like that's my purpose. Or if you were a teacher, you have a to very be like, purpose and meaning driven job, right? Or if you're a teacher or a minister, or I get there's a lot of, but it's got to be hard because I, I imagine like if you're in and out, you're you're getting like a bunch of, I don't know, sixteen to to twenty two year olds like as their their part time job, like flipping a, a you know a thousand burgers a day, like how how does a company like that like say to this. 18 year old flipping burgers like in the back the greasy burgers uh delicious but greasy like uh how, how do they say like how, how do they instill a purpose in that like what like how, how does a company like that do or costco even like uh like stocking shelves all day i i, I feel like that's got to be hard for a company to instill that kind of like a meaning or like to give that job a meaning and for that employee to feel it every day they go to work that's how does a company do that? So uh, one of the purpose, so one of the things I like to see when I'm investing is uh, a strong mission, a strong mission statement. Uh, I like mission driven companies. I think a lot of people like mission driven companies, maybe without really understanding why. Um, the value is so a strong mission statement, uh, strong company values what you want to see, what, uh, you know, what, what I want to see as an investor and what will make you happy as an employee is connecting the mission and values to what the company does, each department, each, you know, each department and each job. That is one of the, that is a very important part of creating a healthy culture. Um, and uh, so, you know, maybe the CEO might not, you know, maybe the CEO isn't going to explain how each job contributes to the company mission and values, but the CEO should be, should, the CEO should be communicating clearly and consistently the company mission, you know, the company mission, its purpose, why it exists. And your, you know, your manager should be, your manager certainly should be responsible for helping you understand how your job, how your position connects to the mission and how you contribute to the company achieving key business metrics. Oh, I get it. Okay. So, Basically, like, hey, this is this is what we're trying to do, and and you're an important part of this. You're not some yeah. like forgotten exactly. part of this, or right, yeah, you're you're oh, you're a part of this, like almost inclusiveness. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I like that. What about bad cultures? Like, how does a how does a company? I, I'm sure no CEO 
or a no founder of a company starts off saying, I want to, co- I want to found a company with a really bad culture. So how, how does a bad culture take place in a company? Sure. Um, well, uh, I think one of the important things to remember is most people hate their jobs because most managers have little training. Uh, and this is, I think, something people are uh, aware of that most people are hired for management positions because they were really good at doing the job. At do, they're really good, you know, you're really good at making cogs, so you are hired to manage people who make cogs. That's actually a remarkably bad way to choose your managers. Sure. You want to look for qual- you want to look for uh, those soft skills that people talk about, uh, emotional IQ things. You want to you want to be looking for uh, those soft skills um, and then provide training. Um, how what kind of training should companies be? What how are companies failing to train managers? Like what, what are, where are there like good, good ways to train managers and bad ways? Like, is it just like basically taking someone who's making cogs and saying, all right, you know how to make cogs. So go, go manage this line of people making cogs. I mean, is is it like a, just a lack of like training classes to even have, or is it like, are are they having this training and they're not doing it or, or like what, what, What's the disconnect that happens in, in most of these companies? Because like, as you said, I mean, just so many people hate their jobs and, and are just unsatisfied with their jobs. So like, what, what's the big disconnect there? Um, I think, uh, well, n- now you get into the area of, uh, you know, of job coaching uh, and uh, learning programs. And that is, uh it's a huge conversation, but uh, offhand, I would say uh, one, your uh, whatever whatever kind of coaching and learning uh, a company has, it should be built. It, it shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be. It it, sh- it is important, and it should be treated like it's important. Um, for example, uh, I can't remember who, but um, one of the uh, 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 SECs, uh, one of the SE bulls. Uh, based, you know, based overseas, went to their shareholder meeting and was asking, um, you know, if anybody had any questions. And one of the things I really wanted to know was, um, well, I've heard that hiring, um, you know, hiring has been a a headwind. Um, How is that going? Is their internal training program meeting their needs? And the, you know, and he thought it was a great question, uh, which I'm glad about because I genuinely wanted the answer. Right, right. Um, And came back with, uh, you know, with what I thought was, uh, you know, really great uh, feedback from management about, you know, about their training program um, and its effectiveness. You, uh, it doesn't, you know, I want to see, you know, I would ideally like to see a company that doesn't treat uh, learning uh, as an afterthought. Because also another important uh, another important part of being happy at work is feeling like you have opportunities for development. Sure, sure. How do you develop if there are if there are a few opportunities? Uh, yeah, definitely. One of one of the worst things I think is, uh, or one of the most demoralizing things, it's like if you believe you're in a dead end job, where well, this is what I'm I'm making cogs and there's no way out. 
this is the end of the line. There, there's no way I can move up from here. Like, uh, I, I totally get why that would be probably like, you know, one of the most demoralizing things. Hope. Hope is uh, another one of the, uh, hope is another, as I, I bet a lot of people have figured out over this past year, uh, hope <laughs> is a good thing. Uh, it's fundamental to your sense of, uh, you know, hope, optimism. It's fundamental to, uh, to, to, contentment sure. and uh at work it's no different at work you need you need a sense of optimism sure sure absolutely so um that that's awesome so like let's put on our our investor hats though as an investor like what are some red flags like you look for in companies like uh before you invest in them like that like maybe this company's culture isn't isn't up to par um it's definitely going to depend on whether we're talking about, uh, you know, whether we're talking about a scrappy, high growth, small cap or mid cap versus a mega cap. I mean, if you check Glassdoor and the reviews on, a, you know, on a company that's nearly a mega cap are just terrible, I would probably be I would probably be worried I give a little more leeway to these uh you know to these companies that are practically startups because it is hard they are you know it it is hard to grow a company and a lot and at these companies we forget just how small they are sometimes uh if I remember correctly uh good rx which uh which I'm a fan of I've been a fan of it since before the IPO and if I remember correctly, they have 200 employees. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's incredibly small. That's business. Yeah, that is. That really is. So, yeah, they, uh, company, obviously, uh, you know, high growth, small cap companies are going to be uh, places where you wear, uh, where you're struggling to keep up with growth. You, you know, it's hard to hire enough, especially in highly specialized industries. They wear a lot of hats. Work-life balance isn't going to be great. Um, you know, those things don't, you know, they're going to be, uh, there are going to be bumps and I, I, I'm, uh, I give more leeway to that. What I will not excuse, uh, one is any kind of ethical concerns in a company of any size among executives, your reputation, uh, your reputation and the people you've surrounded yourself in the pa- with in the past should be sterling. For example, a company I was concerned about, uh, there was a company I was uh, concerned about, uh, it bills itself as a tech company, and I I frankly have very serious doubts, but uh, I was looking at another company in the same sector, and three of their executives had jumped ship to this other company, and I I haven't really made up my mind how I feel about that. I, I can't fault you for I can't fault the person for deciding, you know what, this isn't what I signed up for, but it gives me pause. Sure. Absolutely. What about, so what about like, uh, I, 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 I'm thinking of Carvana and like how I believe the founders, like family is involved in the business, but like they've had, and I don't believe it's been while they were at Carvana, but in the past they've had, uh, discretions like, or, uh, like like blotches yes. on their record like I'm, how i'm very aware of what i'm very so, aware of the issue with carvana so how how does that play into it is there a point where as an investor you can say well this was in the past and i 
I can look past it now and maybe they're changed or is this like, or, or is this something that, that is like a stain that, that stays with them forever? I mean, I think the stock market has uh, cl is clearly giving. Uh, I, the stock market seems uh, skeptical about Carvana for a number of reasons. Uh, clearly, is uh, is giving the company a chance. For me personally, uh, I Carvana is exactly the kind <laughs> of uh, thesis I like. Uh, I mean, it is. You know, it, it, it should slide right into my portfolio. You know what I mean? But uh, it was a difficult decision for me personally. I, I decided there are too many great companies and I would uh, have to pass. Uh, I did actually own it for a little while, but I just, there's just too many great companies. I, I don't care what anybody else invests in, but there's so much uncertainty. Do I really need to also worry on top of it if you're honest and ethical? Right. Now, I, I, I agree with that, actually. So like uh, last year, for a little bit of time, I was invested in Wirecard. And uh, like, it's, so if you're familiar with that, because their numbers looked great. And it was like valued at like, uh, like, it, it was decently valued. And, and, and I mean, I lost money on it, but I wasn't in it too long. But there was just like, I'm like, oh, and, and thank God, though. I mean, I lost money on it, but it was like 10% or, it, you know, nothing big. But like, thank God I got out of it before it just like completely blew up. But um, that was one where I was like, I was reading all the articles and then I was reading the CEO's responses. And, uh, you know, for for listeners, if you don't know, like Wirecard was like a, a merchant processor based out of Europe and they were growing in Asia and uh, all the numbers looked great, uh, you know, like and it was valued. But articles kept coming out. I want to say with the Financial Times or Forbes, they just there was a reporter who was just like dogging them with these stories. Like, no, something's not right. Their accounting's not right. The, things don't add up. And the SEC would investigate them. But, you know, that happens from time to time. And uh, like, I, I got in it for a little bit. I was just like, well, it's so undervalued. And I really like the story. And, and, and thank God, like eventually the articles added up and the evidence added up. And the CEO, he, would, he was just dodgy when he was responding to the questions, you know? And uh, like all the accounting was like at the end, like, I mean, they had like $2 billion they said was in the bank that didn't even exist. And like they, all the growth was like, or a lot of the growth was made up and, and everything like that, but it completely blew up. And after that, it's like one of those reminders you need, like I already said, would, would have told you at that time or before that, like, oh yeah, if there's, you know, if there's questions about management, just move on. Like you said about Carvana, there's plenty of great companies out there I can invest in that I don't have to worry about management's integrity. And uh, and that was just like another very vivid reminder for me. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's why <laughs> that's why I, I I almost bought Lucan, but it, it's it's actually the, the Lucan is the, the kind of company I'm uh, always pretty skeptical of uh, companies that are growing uh, well, it's really stock price. Stock price moving too quickly. It always makes me um, uh, a little. It always makes me a little bit nervous, and I am very, very cautious unless um, unless I've done adequate uh, my you know unless I've really done my homework. But I'm not gonna lie. I very seriously thought about uh, about Luke and and finally decided to pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In both those cases, that, that was that was. <laughs> 
obviously a good decision. Wirecard now, I mean, like at the time I bought it, I, I want to say it was like 40 bucks and it went down to 35 when I sold it. And now it's at like 35 cents, you know, <laughs> like, so uh, it, it definitely blew up. Uh, I was glad I got out of it by then. Um, yeah. So I was reviewing our DMs uh, just before we talked. And one of the things uh, you told me when we first started talking about workplace cultures was it was uh, to ignore best workplace awards. So, so why is that? So I think uh, best place workplace, uh, best workplace awards are great. If you want to get, it's a nice place to start. It's a nice place to start. If you've already decided a company um, is a good investment, you know, it's nice to note, but I would kind of take them with a grain of salt. The, the data is too easy to game. Uh, what you're probably never going to know is what percentage of employees actually filled out the survey. So now picture 30% of your employees are so disengaged, they didn't even bother filling out the survey. Maybe the other 70% is all right, you know? Right. But the that's probably thing, the most disengaged of your employees. Exactly. That, that's my, right. uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to. I'm not going to name any names, but the, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the, the work, the best workplace awards are, are nice. Um, it's a, it's a nice to see, but I wouldn't place too much weight on it. Okay. And you mentioned already Glassdoor, which I guess is my go-to tool. Like when I, like I'll, I'll say I care about workplace culture and I guess like, that's what I, I do. I'll go to Glassdoor and I look at like, you know, how many stars the company gets and, how many people like would recommend the company to a friend? Like what, when you use Glassdoor, what specifically are you looking at? Um, you know, I do like to see, uh, I, I do like to look at Glassdoor. Uh, I do like to check the charts to see how um, the ratings have changed. Uh, the ratings have changed over time. Uh, you do have to keep in mind sometimes, uh, especially for companies that recently went public, uh, those ratings can seem to follow the stock charts. So, right, right. <laughs> uh, so keep that in mind, keep that in mind too. But I think my favorite way to use Glassdoor is actually to look for uh, red flags in a company. And that can be in a number of categories. If you see, uh, keep in mind that everybody loves to complain. Uh, so the reviews are often going to skew negative. But if you're seeing the same kind of complaints over and over, work-life balance is pretty common. I'm not paid enough is pretty common. I don't mind those things. But if there's something specific and you're seeing a pattern uh, that's worth noting. The same on the positive side. If you're seeing if you're seeing a pattern in the positive reviews, then that's something to note. Um, the other thing I always look out for is companies that are gaming the reviews, and uh, some companies are better at it than others. But there are companies that have been accused of. Um, literally ordering every employee to make a positive review and uh, I've, I've seen those i see those exactly right exactly so uh what i would look out for there is a disproportionate amount of um uh you know four or five star reviews with just enough characters 
to get for them to publish. Um, often you'll see, you know, the no negatives that I can think of. And you'll see that over and over and over. No negatives at this time. Gotcha. Gotcha. So if you see a lot of positive reviews with absolutely no negative feedback, you either found the world's best company or maybe there's a problem. Right, right. Um, I apologize for jumping around, but I, and I always do this too. I wish I was more organized in my interviews, but like how much of this is, is, is money related? Like how much of it is just like compensation and salary? Uh, because we talked about like management making uh, the cog makers feel part of the team and part of the, the, the family, you know, and, uh, and how much of it, how much of that comes down to, or, or not like letting them feel like they're out of dead end, that there's opportunity for them. But how much of it at the end of the day, is it just like, well, in and out pays their employees, like on average, 10% more than McDonald's employees or, or for, you know, larger companies, like their 401k is a better plan. Like it, how, how much of that plays into it? I mean, I, studies show less than you'd think. Um, uh, I think that to be, you know, being able to afford to live is uh, kind of a bare of minimum. Course. Right. Of course. Um, so I think once you, you know, once you, you know, once you kind of pass, uh, once you pass a certain threshold, um, uh, pay and benefits matters less than you think. Uh, it's hard to pay somebody enough to make it worth making them miserable. That's a great way to put it. I, I love that. I love that. Um, so when I was talking to you, you said your specialty is branding companies through storytelling. Yes. What does that, what does that mean? Storytelling? Why is storytelling important? Well, storytelling, a uh, story, uh, stories are one of the things uh, for stories are one of the things that we look for, for example, uh, in investing, when somebody asks, uh, well, what's your thesis? They're really asking, what's the, you know, what's the story? Uh, Stories are a way to get people to pay attention. Um, They're a way for uh, manner. They're a way for managers and executives to connect people to their message, to their mission, you know, to their message, to the company's mission, to the company's values. Stories are a very powerful tool. And, and how, so how does a company's story like affect its, its culture? Like how, how does that like, like, is it like important for like management to say like, like, uh, or could you give us an example of like a company using its story where it really like affected its culture maybe um well if we want to just talk about the power of stories i think luvongo is uh, a perfect uh, example we all <laughs> i mean we all anybody who participated in luvongo was a big fan of luvongo sure, sure. Uh, but what a very important part of that story was uh, i don't know if you remember the the video on the the video on the website of uh the you know of the uh, the CEO and founder who talked about um, having a child with diabetes and wanting to, you know, wanting to improve his, his child, his child's life. I, 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 do you remember I no, I don't, I don't remember that video, but it sounds, it does. I, I, it sounds pretty powerful though. 
Like if when he's saying like, this is why we're doing exactly. what we're doing. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. So the story, you know, the story of Lavongo was, um, you know, I'm a healthcare executive. My child asked me, am I going to be okay? And he said yes. And then wanted to make it true. And uh, the video, uh, you know, the video talked about, um, you know, how many people in, uh, you know, who worked for the company uh, had or were impacted by diabetes. And that is a very, uh, uh, we're going to, we're going to make money, you know, we're going to make money selling this product is not a powerful story. We are empowering people to take control of their health. That's a story that not just employees, but uh, clients, consumers sure. can connect yeah. to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can. And, and just going back and just for the workplace culture, I mean, I like this is what we're doing. It's not just a, we're not just making cogs. We're not just uh, earning a paycheck. We're, we're trying to like make our, our families, our friends that we know like this, people who are suffering uh, like their lives meaningfully better yeah that's that is powerful absolutely good example empowering people through technology is a uh, is a very powerful story that underlies i think a, a lot of the branding in uh in technology oh that's great no that's a great example too um well like i alluded to at the beginning of the show um like i first started following you on twitter because of your your stock picking prowess uh not because i knew you were uh like this this uh this this hidden expert on our workplace culture um so if you have time why don't you tell us about your investment process and philosophy sure um my philosophy is make money. Um, <laughs> it's a good one. Good place to start. Good place that's, to start. Uh, that's kind of my starting point. Um, so uh, I think as a, as an investor, my ideal is buy and hold. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'm not against a good trade. Um, but a lot of the companies I'm attracted to are uh, disruptors in some way. For example, uh, I buying. I'm, uh, you know, my thesis on I'm buying is that residential real estate has never been disrupted. A lot of investors think it never will be, but if they're wrong, the upside is massive. So I, I got, I, I got long, uh, I, I, I got long, I buying, um, actually kind of, <laughs> kind of at the right time. I, I finally got to convinced to go all in last March. So I can't think of a, to be fair, I was actively trying to decide uh, what to buy on my shopping trip, but sure, sure. Uh, I got very long uh, eye buying. Uh, that's why it pains me to pass on Carvana. It, you may be able to understand now why it's Sure. Something I would like T-Doc. I've liked Livongo and T-Doc for the exact same reason that uh, healthcare is broken. And I genuinely believe this is going to be an amazing, finally, I, I don't know if technology is going to fix healthcare, but I do believe it's going to be an amazing decade for improvements in that space. So I picked up uh, T-Doc and Livongo. I just honestly practically the moment I, I, the moment I heard about it, I fell in love with it. Um, that's why it pained me to pass on Carvana disrupting the car industry. I mean, that is right up my alley. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounds like it. So like, are you a fan? Were you a fan of both companies, uh, Livongo and Teladoc before the, the merger? And are you a fan yeah. of the merger? 
yes, um, I, uh, I actually uh, passed on T-Docket. So uh, well before the, uh, I've done a lot of work in uh, healthcare and hospitals. So I 100% well before the pandemic happened, knew that telehealth was the future. Um, when I discovered TDOC, you know, this is the only pure telehealth company on the market. Um, I, I had to pass because there were, I don't know if ethics is quite the right word. There, there, there were some, cur- there, there were concerns that have since been cleared up, not ethical per se, licensing issues. They were working out uh, issues with regulations and I had to pass uh, in hindsight, obviously, I wish I hadn't, but you have to you have to follow your rules. Sure. Right, right, right. Um, no, no, and no. I, I followed my rules there. There are things, if there's a question about the basic product, <laughs> I can't go all in. Um, but uh, I did, I did go long T-Doc um, uh, right at, uh, soon after going long Livongo. And I just loved Livongo. I mean, um, you know, just immediately. And when I heard about the merger, uh, I, I was honestly shocked to find out that Twitter despised it because my brother actually texted me and I almost lost my mind. This was <laughs> the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. And I got online and I felt like I, I got on Twitter and it felt like Groundhog's Day. Every single, practically every single influencer in the business, except from growth to value, um, was... Uh, uh, I, I believe uh, Seven Investing was uh, was kind of uh, saying let's uh, some of the Seven Investing crowd was saying yeah. you know what there, there were some questions there were some questions but let's wait let's wait and yeah. see yeah. Uh, but a lot of the influencers were unabashedly uh, unabashedly negative they were selling uh, it was at one point basically just me and uh, from Growth to Value who were like guys this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened. Yeah, I think. All right. Well, tell me if I'm wrong. I I, I don't follow those com- or I didn't follow those companies too closely at the time. It seemed like if you were a Teladoc shareholder, uh, people were very excited about or more excited about it. But if they were Livongo shareholders, I, I feel like the Livongo shareholders felt like they they were getting like a, not not the best not the price they thought they deserved for their shares, and and I think that was a, a lot of the questions. I think uh, I think actually some of the del- uh, some of the Teladoc shareholders were like, "Why are you buying this overpriced company? Okay. Right. Uh, I don't even know this company. Why would you buy this overpriced company?" And the Lavango shareholders were like, "But I wanted to see Lavango yeah. grow on its own. I bought this high growth company. Why are you saddling us with this weight?" when we were going to the moon and uh i guess there there wasn't as much uh at least on on twitter there wasn't as much crossover between uh between the two companies as you would have expected um although the customer base didn't have much crossover either so right um right. <laughs> i was you know me and from growth to value were just sitting here like guys this is <laughs> amazing um i mean it's a little sad about lavongo but this is amazing it was definitely a, a grander vision for a company um you know I, i'm not as knowledgeable i'm not an expert on either of those companies like i said but uh it was definitely like uh like i get like i guess people asking questions about it but i also get like well that's they're they're really trying to do something very 
very big and, and grand and, and special over there. Uh, you got to admire that, that vision that they're, that they're going for. I am almost, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty biased. I am almost uh, dangerously bullish on TDOC. I, I have, I, I, I have a, a hard cap on initial investment. Um, but because I had filled my cap, I mean, we all know what the market did last year. It went up like crazy. So uh, normally I would go somewhat slowly uh, as I'm building a position, but I went very, very, very quickly, unusually quickly uh, with TDOC and Livongo. So I had full positions in both when they announced the merger and decided as a matter of philosophy that I, I would not trim. And uh, so now not only do I have uh, an outsized position, I, it is my uh, it, it is my highest conviction stock that is, I actually would argue it's investment grade at this point, but I still could be wrong. So um, it, it is my highest, uh, highest conviction position outside right. things that, you know, I mean, look, Apple's going to be around tomorrow. You know, Amazon, Amazon's not going anywhere. So I, I actually think I believe in TDOC as much as I believe in Amazon. Uh, that's where I'm at. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about, if, if you don't mind, let's talk about iBuying real quick too, because that's a, that's a space I'm very interested love in. It. Like real, I love real estate. And, and Seven Investing might have some recommendations in that space. Like what are, uh, what, what are your favorite ways to play that space? Like, do you, have you just created a basket of like, you know, the, like the Zillow, Redfin, uh, Open Door, or is there other companies you're looking at? Or no, I, I, did, I, I did a basket. Uh, so my preference in, uh, you know, my preference in i buying is Zillow. That's the first company I went uh, long, and I, I just because of that, uh, they are larger. Uh, they're larger positions. Um, although I am building out uh i actually was pretty aggressive with open too but i'm building out redfin that's one of my plans for 2021 is to build up redfin because i i got into it later but so my thinking with i buying is that i am very long i don't know how the space is going to play out over the next decade but i think it's too early to just pick one company and go all in if that's what you've done, uh, I don't blame you. Go for it. Uh, baskets are just, uh, it's actually not generally the way I operate. I, I usually just pick a horse, but I really think in eye buying, it's just too early. Uh, I prefer Zillow. That's the one I'm betting on, but I want to stay long all three because I think it's too early to tell how the space is going to uh, evolve. Uh, full disclosure, I got burned by grub. So uh, okay. pretty, <laughs> fairly hard. Uh, so that might've impacted my, uh, my my position on iBuying. You just never know how these things are gonna shape up. And it's a shame to be right about the opportunity, but wrong about the winner. Right, absolutely. Uh, and, and I, you know, I'm kind of the same way, actually. Like I, I am not usually a basket investor if there's an industry i like i might i definitely might have more than one company from that industry sure. um but it i i've tackled it in a similar way i i have a, a fairly sizable position in redfin and and actually the last my newest position is open door um i actually don't have a position in zillow though there are other investors on our team who are very bullish on that company as well 
Um, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of Zillow. Like I said, that's uh that that's my favorite horse, but I'm not gonna bet, you know, I'm not gonna bet the farm on it yet. I, I again it's a shame to be right about the opportunity and wrong about the winner. Uh for the record, I, I don't think this is necessarily a winner takes all space. I personally think uh, suspect that all of the iBuying companies are going to tweak their model and mimic each other until somebody gets it right and then everybody just does that. But again, uh, I got burned I, I got burned pretty hard by grub. So I don't want to take any chances with iBuying. I am very bullish. I do genuinely believe uh, it's the future. And I want to stay just Every time someone goes public, I'm going to scoop it up. Right, right. No, it, it, and it, I mean, obviously, the, the U.S. real estate market is, is one of the biggest is one of the biggest markets in the world. And I mean, we just moved not too long ago. And, and you see when you move, you see like the need. You're like, wow, this this industry could be more efficient. This could be there, there's ways to improve this industry, uh, both on price and on process. And I think uh uh, these companies are definitely uh, working on a solution for that. Absolutely, uh, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. If people are interested in following you, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's just first letter, last name at jablamski.com. Uh, at, actually, is twitter.com? It's just jablamski. <laughs> I'm so used to saying <laughs> .com. <laughs> I, um, I'm on Twitter at jablamski. And if you uh, if you are on Twitter, as far as I'm concerned, she is a, a must follow. Uh, well, Jessica, thank you very much for joining us today. Again, I'm Matthew Cochran. We're Seven Investing, and we're here to empower you to invest in your future. Thank you. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.